listening to the Village Church Podcast Show. Okay, welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show. I am Mark. I am your host. And today I am sitting here with Ron Pierce. Uh, Ron is the director and founder of Empower Ministries. And Empower Ministries uh, is something. Well, Ron, why don't you uh, tell us uh, what Empower actually does, and then I'll tell them how I know you. Well, Empower Ministries is an international missions organization that goes around and finds the spiritual hotspots in the world. Right. Areas where God's really pouring out his spirit in a massive way. Yeah. And we move in and help. So we're in 44 countries right now. Okay. And we go in to help nationals enhance their ministry, to plant churches, win people to Christ, and then strengthen them. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I uh, I went to a summer camp growing up as a child, a young kid. Uh, I started going there in 88, 89, something like that, when I was eight or nine years old. And Ron was one of the speakers. It's, it's actually very strange, Ron, that you were one of the speakers when I was a little kid, and you would come in and you would preach, and you blew us away. You inspired all of us. But you also told a lot of stories that scared us as kids, and we would go back and say, Ron Pierce, is he here? I can't believe it. We'd all cry and accept Christ multiple times that week. Uh, so anyway, you had this impact on me. And then I move out. And that was, so that was back in Ontario yeah. uh, where you live. You're, you live in Barrie. Right. Um, and uh, I moved out here uh, in 2004. I uh, was going to Regent College, planted a church and, you know, kind of moved on with my life. And then a few years ago, I get this phone call from a friend and he says, hey, I got a guy I really want you to meet. And I said, well, who is it? And he says, name's Ron Pierce. I'm like, no, I know that guy. He used to come and speak when I was nine years old. So then we got to go out for breakfast and there was this crazy connection. And you remember, I mean, you didn't remember me as a camper, but you remember being at the camp and all that stuff. So kind of crazy that our, that our paths cross again. So, uh, and now you've been a part of, of my life a little bit, uh, here and there for the last few years. Uh, you've spoken at village a few times and just shared with us what's going on around the world. So it's very cool how God kind of brings people together. Exactly. So, um, Tell us uh, what are, I want to jump into this, uh, specifically around the questions of kind of the global scene. So getting us, you know, we are uh, 21st century, most, a lot of people listening are kind of from a Western context. We're living our life, we're living in the burbs, we go about our life, Um, we work a job, we're raising kids, so we don't know, man. We are a bit isolated from the rest of the world. So take us through, uh, you talked about your organization deals with the hotspots. Take us through, blow us away. Tell us what God is doing around the world in what countries and what capacities, what's happening out there that we're not hearing about that we know nothing about. Okay, well, let me set the stage first of all. And a lot of Westerners that um, tune into the news, watch something that's going online, they don't really get the flavor or the temperature, shall I say, as to what the world is going through right now. We are both seeing at the at the same time a great turning to God mm-hmm. as well as a great falling away. Mm-hmm. The world is falling apart around us mm-hmm. morally, mm-hmm. ethically, violence, terrorism. I can go on a list of things mm-hmm. that are super negative. Yeah. And yet... In the countries we work in, that we've chosen to work in, the the Spirit of God is so powerfully working. Mm. And we're not talking anymore about thousands of people now accepting Christ in some countries. Literally, we're we're throwing around the word millions. Wow. And that is very strange because some of these areas that were dark before, spiritually, Mm. are coming alive. So in countries like China, Mm. Ethiopia, um, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, all those areas, Burma, 
with Buddhist monks that are, are looking to find God all over the place, mm-hmm. needing Bibles. And all those sorts of things are happening at this time in history, yeah. which means it's, it's really exciting to get up in the morning right now mm-hmm. because you don't know what's happening. Right. And I, I, the first thing I do laying in bed is I grab my phone and I, and I look at the news and I say, okay, what's falling apart and where are our opportunities? Right. Yeah. Interesting. So tell us, uh, so you're talking China, you're talking uh, Burma, you're, you're talking these different places, Ethiopia. Yeah. Uh, give us a few glimpses into, into what's going on. What, what is God doing? Okay, China is the largest turning to God in the world, hmm. probably right now, and nobody knows for sure, but probably somewhere upwards of 130, 140 million people in China out of the 1.3 billion or whatever it is right. that know God, and we're talking about strong Christians right. that we, we identify as such. Yeah. So this would be 10% or 11 or 12% of the population. Mm-hmm. Now, the Chinese government say it's less than that, sure. but we pretty well know because we work with 30 of the largest house church movements in the country, mm. which would maybe be about 80 million, 90 million believers. Right. And I will uh, meet th- with- So 30... 30- 30 organizations or 30 churches yeah. Yeah. are made up of 80 million believers? Yeah. Okay. yeah, and and one of the largest ones has 12 million. Then you okay. get a couple of 11s, uh, right. a few sixes in there. <laughs> um, the smaller ones are like 500,000. Right. And nobody even knows them. Right. And uh, those are to be the size of the, of the movements that are all throughout the wow. country. And they're sort of like denominations, but not really. Right. They're more c- conglomerations of people who've gathered together, maybe around a leader or a theme sure. or some sort of Yeah, you were saying you met with a leader who's a pastor of 12 million or something. What was that? Yeah, or, ju- yeah, just before Christmas, I was with one pastor I've known rather well. He's a good friend, and uh, he's from China. He has 12 million. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, we we sat and we were talking about the various things that were going around mm-hmm. in China and the way the persecution is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, persecution is not the way it used to be. Back in the old days, they would throw people in prison for 20 years and pastors and things like that, and there were a lot of guys in prison. Right now, there's not so many in prison, but the surveillance is really super high. Mm-hmm. So on the streets, they've got cameras. They're watching the cell phones now, all your conversations, all your emails, where, what websites you go to to look, right, right, everything. Right. And uh, therefore, this constant. So they're putting pressure on the pastors not to gather together in such large groups. Right. They're, they're basically, the, the, the Chinese government is saying, we know you're there. Yeah. We know you're going to grow. Just don't grow too much. Right. In other words, let's suppress this rather than try to eradicate it. Right. But as he told me, they're probably having a, a burst now, especially of young people, uh, like your age, especially yeah, your yeah, age. Yeah. And they're probably looking right now at this year, about 30,000 people a day accepting Christ in China. That would be probably around 11 million this year. Right. Wow. And that's grown. So how do they, how do they uh, maintain this? How do they disciple how do they teach bible how do they grow these people like what is it what does it look what does it actually look like because they're not in buildings you know massive church buildings so what does it look like describe it overall the majority of it is house churches okay and a house church can be 15 people to 30 to 50 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know whatever you can get into a house or a small building sure and they meet four times a week for prayer for bible study for church. And then you get other groups, maybe a small congregation somewhere that's got 100, 150 in an old dilapidated building. Then there's some that are sort of in the cities that are coming a little above the 
the ground and they're sort of becoming known. Right. And some people go there. And you might get a sort of 200, 300 and some of those, but there aren't that many of those. Right. So it's, it's smaller and it's widespread. And because of the pressure, they're even going smaller and doubling up. So they're cutting their congregations in half right. to multiply the locations. Right. And do they sit around, like you said, they're in Bible study four days a week. Are they sitting around all holding Bibles, or what are they? how are they doing this? When they can get a Bible, yeah, because there's a shortage it's of One of the things you guys do. You've been yeah. called, you know, people call you kind of the, the CIA of global missions. Yeah. Like, you're not on anyone's radar. You try to kind of stay very... Yeah, yeah, we're a low-profile operation. <laughs> we, we have our friends, as I say. Right, you have your friends, and, and you're not uh, going to name we, any of them here on the yeah, show right no, now. No, and right? we, we have they ways get of trouble, getting in right? and, and, you know, So you smuggle Bibles. Bibles? We don't smuggle. Okay, we, 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 um, we get them in in certain ways. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. I'm just using different words, but you get, you're, you're got the drift. But legal. Yeah, well, somewhat, maybe. Right. Yeah, somewhat. Right, okay. Um, so this is, there's going to be people out there listening who are like, hey, man, like, we got Bible apps on our phones. No one's, no one's, you know, needing to print Bibles and get them anywhere anymore. That's all. That's so eighties or whatever. Ron, is that real or what? Are you? Yeah. Are we still needing to get Bibles out to people? Absolutely, because not everybody in the world right now does not have a smartphone. Right. Okay. Most people have dumb phones. Right. In other words, they right. can't download a lot of things. Right. They're really yeah. simple. They're yeah. country. Yeah. And uh, therefore, there's a lot of people that that just need a plain old-fashioned book yeah. made of paper and ink. Right. Right. And that's really what is necessary, as well as the fact that people like to study the Bible around mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to study the Bible on a cell phone or right. a smartphone, yeah, yeah. on an app, yeah. because you can read it, right. but try underlining it sometime. Right, right, right. And they that's what they need to do. They right. need to be able to flip yeah. back and forth. Yeah. So therefore, So when no, you go in and you see in. these guys in these underground churches in China, take us in a little bit to okay. the level of okay. study, the level of, and, and and take us into the persecution of what you're seeing. In any of the countries that you visit, hit us some stories with what okay. you're seeing around the level of, man, these guys are this committed. Okay. An average church service, let's start there, would be probably um, four hours long mm-hmm. in China. And in that period of time, they'd have about um, an hour worth of prayer, uh, an hour worth of worship and two hours worth of Bible study, mm-hmm. and that would go on four nights a week. on su- On Friday night at six o'clock till Saturday night at six o'clock, they will have prayer meetings that last obviously twenty four hours, mm-hmm. and uh, they will pray all night and all the next day. And they do this on a regular basis. I would say there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, doing that in China every week. So this is not um, a very casual church. This isn't a um, if I can use this word, seeker-friendly type right, of endeavor. Right. This is really people getting in-depth into God and so going out and finding Tell us, uh, are you seeing, are they seeing uh, miracles happen? Oh, is time. that going on Mark, still around the world, Mark, Ron, or is that, Mark, is that old school? <laughs> Mark, it is so common. I tell stories about it all the time. Right. Um, is that part of the China? It's part of the China. Uh, um Every revival in the world, or outpouring the Spirit, has yeah. got a different characteristic. Yeah. China is more into real study of the Word of God right. and aggressive evangelism. Okay. Vietnam is miracles. Yeah. I could take you into the outback of Vietnam, and you'll have young pastors talking about miracles absolutely everywhere. In fact, they go into villages up in the Ho Chi Minh Trail area. I was just with one guy telling me this, and he says, we go in. 
We find a village totally unreached with the gospel. We will uh, find the four sickest people in the village. We'll pray for them. They're healed. And he says, then we preach the gospel. Right. And he says, the village will accept Christ. Mm. And it just happens regularly that way. Right. Um, in Ethiopia, dreams and visions mm. um, are common, absolutely so common mm. that everywhere I go, I was just in there before Christmas, and I was into Ethiopia in an area south of Addis, the capital, and I was going around, and this is where literally millions of people have accepted Christ mm. from various religious backgrounds over the last two and a half years. We have about 550 church planters we're helping out in the area, you might say, right now, and everywhere I went, you would see a congregation of, oh, 200, 300 that have popped up out of nowhere, and these are all new believers. But it's, if you ask them their testimony, dreams, visions, miracles, everything like that is so common. Mm. It's almost like everywhere. Right. And so, yes, it's, the supernatural is real in the world right now. And uh, when, you, when you go in and you see the, um, the persecution uh, in these different countries, yep. what, is, what is that? I mean, we, we go back, we look at the book of Acts. We see there's all kinds of persecution. Yeah. Obviously, we see uh, through history there's been persecution. Yeah. Um, what does persecution look like today on a global scale to the church? It's increasing. Every country is a little bit different. Um, right now, I would say in China, there it's more surveillance and pressure. In Ethiopia, it's somewhat non-existent. Hmm. Um, in Vietnam, government controls don't want the church to grow, so they've got to be very careful, and it can get a little rough there mm. at some times, mm. um, beatings on Christians and things. In India, it's getting very bad, mm. and um, right now the church is really growing. I know that in the one area, in a tribal zone, uh, they're starting 30 churches per week right now in the tribal zone, mm. but the pastors are getting beaten. Um, there are rapes of uh, Christian women. There's uh, burning down of churches. There's all sorts of pressure, and it's increasing. Mm. So if I had to go all around the world and give you a country mm -hmm. by country, mm. I would say overall it is growing steadily right now everywhere because the gospel is so powerful mm. and so uh, so alive right. that Satan is coming back and really putting pressure on the mm -hmm. church to try to suppress it. Mm -hmm. It's the only way he knows, mm -hmm. and therefore it's getting tougher. Yeah. Where would you say the most amount of persecution is right now? Hmm. Middle East, okay. probably as like? a whole. What does that look like? Well, that's life and death sort of issues in some no. countries. If you surface that you've accepted Jesus, um, they'll they'll kill you in, in many, many areas. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very, very careful. A lot of them are on the run. A lot of uh, underground believers, shall we say, mm -hmm. uh, believers that just can't come out openly unless an opportunity exists to share their faith. Yeah. And so that would be the biggest area right yeah. now. You were telling me about uh, an area where you went and they would bury some of the, the church planters or pastors or Christians or whatever up to their neck and kind of kick their heads around like soccer balls and that kind of stuff. That, that's, that's real. Still, that's that's yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah. That happened to yeah. a brother, a good friend, yeah. actually, in Vietnam that I know. Right. And um, they, they would uh, buried him up to his, uh, his body, up to his head in the sand. Yeah. And then they would shoot bullets around it. And then they would take uh, rifles and they would use the butt end of a rifle as a, like a golf club on him. Yeah. And so he, he would talk about that. he just keeps that. preaching. Yeah. yeah. They don't give up. Right. Uh, the, the, the determination to follow Jesus and preach about him only becomes stronger when persecution comes in. Mm -hmm. In actual fact, Mark, the more persecution that there is, the faster the gospel grows in right. all these areas that we work in right, right now. Right, right, right. Talk about, uh, you told me a story a while ago about um, 
there was a um, a church plant movement in China in the underground where um, a woman and her husband did some stuff and they were scratching on the walls and they were there were a bunch of students downstairs and she had started this oh. church and now it was I can't remember the exact details yes. but that yeah. image of this organic movement of someone just called by God and going out. What was that? There's a lady years and years ago that was told by the Lord in a vision to start an underground Bible school. Okay. So she went and she started the school. This was in China? Was this is in yeah. China. And people came from all over the place to attend it, and the thousands went through it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it grew up, and some of the best leaders in China were part of that. And they took me and showed me you know, some of the underground areas and things like that. And there was a chalkboard there. And um, uh, police came in and raided it, ripped it up, tore, you know, shut down the school and everything like that. Yeah. The, but the chalkboard existed and kept on going. And I got it right now. It's in my office. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to preserve it for history. It's sort of like a museum piece. I call it the Mona Lisa of missions. Right. Simply because they took knives, the police, because they were so angry at it. And they took knives and they tried to slash it and cut it. And um, there was only one word that that was never erased all these years, and it's been 20-some-odd years that it was there, by, and just nobody touching it. Mm. And the one word on it in Chinese is the word grace. Mm. And they were never able to destroy grace. Mm. Yeah. They tried, and they got angry at it, but they couldn't destroy it. Mm. And that's probably the story of China today, mm. in the fact that God's overwhelming love for those people, the grace that has been poured out upon that country, even under very, very difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. is overwhelming. How did she get that vision to start that school? God's peered to in her dream. Real great. simple. And then a couple of days later... This is before any missionaries show up to oh, these no. places. Is God, yeah. But does God prep these oh, yeah. like these villages out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Right? They hear the gospel. Tell me about how God prepares them. God prepares them in a way whereby the missionaries will come in or somebody will come in and lay the groundwork. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, at some period of time, those people may be taken out of the way, like a, a Western missionary. then persecution will come upon the area or something like fertilizer. And then all of a sudden sprouts up an organic operation by the people in that area who get a passion for God, a hunger for lost souls, Mm -hmm. and they go out and do it. And that's basically what happens everywhere that we work in right now. Mm -hmm. We look for those areas where national churches are popping up and God has given them the anointing to go out and do the job. And... It's working really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, God comes in, does that, but it always starts with somebody planting a seed somewhere Mm -hmm. that has a little bit of... God planting a seed somewhere that has a little bit of growth, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, God just takes it and it goes vertical. Right. Amazing. Um, Talk about uh, ISIS. Um, Uh Obviously, ISIS is a big deal around the world. Um, you being in the global scene, having some connection with Israel mm-hmm. in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what you're seeing, maybe even that we don't see on the news, about what ISIS is doing and in uh, kind of what it's doing in relationship to the church and really what a good response is, what you guys are doing. What are you guys seeing and how you're responding? We've got four spots within um, the theater of operation in the Syria, Iraq, Kurdish zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you where. Um, we have uh, four operations going on, doing evangelism, scriptures, food, 
relief of sorts. We call it compassionate assistance mm-hmm. because um, our major goal is to see people come to know Jesus. We want to love them mm-hmm. and we want to explain the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. We'll love them on earth and we want to introduce them to heaven. And we do both things at the same time. So in those areas, we have a lot of ISIS um, um, sort of offshoots that come into play. Many of the people have run from ISIS and have gone to these refugee camps or gone to zones where they're living right now. Many people aren't even in the camps and mark their outside. Mm. They, there's no room for them. They don't feel secure in the camps. So they live outside. That's primarily where we work. Okay. is outside helping the people that nobody else is helping. Okay. The world aid organizations and these great relief operations that are doing the best they can, mm-hmm. they'll go into camps. We go the outside yeah. edge where nobody knows. Right. So when we go in there, we'll ask the people, you know, how can we help? And we've got counselors in there from all over the Middle East that speak Arabic. And they go in there and they start to counsel. They ask people about what hope they have. Their lives are totally shattered. Mm. And uh, we provide them with the word of God and a little bit of, food and clothes and all the other things that they desperately need, Mm -hmm. they always come back and they say, tell us more about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. Even the people that came from orthodox sort of situations within Syria or in that part of the world, they want to go deeper in Jesus Mm -hmm. because that's their only hope. So we'll help them to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the people that we're really helping right now, we call them the girls from ISIS. These are girls, young ladies, women, who have escaped the clutches of ISIS and they were sex slaves, mm-hmm. and uh, they were captured, and they've escaped or been discarded, and they've come to the refugee camps or some other areas. We're working with them, trying to give them dignity back again, mm-hmm. trying to give them a life, and they're afraid of they're afraid of men, mm-hmm. really afraid of men. Mm-hmm. So we have women counselors that are in there working with them, and um, it's working. Um, they're they're starting to see daylight because it was so dark, mm-hmm. depression. Uh, sometimes their families don't want them back because the families are ashamed of what they've gone through. It's been a is ISIS black mark um, on them. getting uh, more powerful or less powerful? Uh, what's what's going on? I was just with one of the leaders, uh, Christian leaders in the Middle East. Great guy, works with me. I've known him for twenty five years, and he explained to me what the situation is right now. He says that all the um, armies that are coming against ISIS, the air attacks and mm-hmm. um, the forces on the ground, etc. They may be taking back physical territory or land from ISIS, right. but ISIS is growing, mm-hmm. and it's growing because it's spreading to other countries. Mm-hmm. And I, I've I've got lists of countries where, shall we say, satellite operations or um, um, franchises are opening up mm-hmm. that are pledging allegiance to ISIS. These are radical Islamist operations mm-hmm. who now say we pledge allegiance to the leader and the theology, shall I say, of ISIS, and they're starting to spread mm-hmm. all over the Middle East, but not just there, to Indonesia, largest Muslim mm-hmm. nation in the world, mm-hmm. to other countries. And this leader says... Is Indonesia the largest Muslim country in the world by number or percentage yes, by number. By number. of population? Well, okay. percent, by, number. It, by number and percentage. Right, okay. uh, it's both. Uh, right. Indonesia's huge. Right, yeah. And um, th- this leader says that they're spreading by, um, by sheer operations growing around the world. So their territory might be shrinking, mm-hmm. but their numbers are growing. Right. And this can't be contained. And he says this is the worst-case scenario. And the fact that terrorism will spread, but it will be organic within the other countries now. Mm -hmm. They're not sending people to start it. These other countries are just adopting it. Mm -hmm. And what's feeding them? 
is the internet. They can go onto the internet. All the information is there, all the right. beliefs, ideologies, everything like that. Right. And even the dark side of the net will explain to them so everything that we, you have to do. How do we as Christians um, deal with the, uh, the, the radicalization um, because, of course, we are called to, you know, on the one hand, you have Christians who react and they, they overreact and they say, you know, so ergo, every Muslim is a ISIS member and I walk into a coffee shop and I see a Muslim guy and I think he's going to blow the place up and, yeah. you know, um, and then, uh, but we're called to love and to serve and to journey beside you have people saying we shouldn't let these refugees in our country because they're all going to get radicalized and blow everybody up. And, um, so how, how have you dealt with, you know, the Christian, how does a Christian respond yeah. to this? to this massive thing we have in a worldwide situation. We have all these refugees going into all these countries and, and high percentage, if not most are, are they're just, I mean, they're legit. They're people running from the same thing we would run from. Exactly. Um, and of course, you know, around Christmas time, there was these funny, you know, memes going around on the internet about, you know, you know, Jesus family was refugees running from, you yeah. know, and yet all the Christians are the yeah. ones saying, keep these guys out. Yeah. How, give us some advice going forward. What's the Christian posture in this? Okay. Um, I am going to tell you that probably uh, I'm going to be looked at as a radical for I'm going to say what I'm going to say right now. Okay. I think we have to fight fire with fire. Mm. And the way you fight fire with fire is this way. There's a fire of destruction trying to spread all around the world, destroy people, destroy cultures, mm -hmm. destroy families, destroy everything like that. And that's an evil fire. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the fire of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is the only way you can fight this. Mm -hmm. And when I say fire for fire, I mean that we need radical, in a positive sense of that word, mm -hmm. believers who come forward and don't look at the newspaper, don't look at the outward, but look at the inner heart of these people that are coming from other parts of the world. Right. Even the radicals, they don't know Jesus. They right. are lost. Right. God has given us a golden opportunity right. as they're coming into all these countries of the world as right. refugees. The nations are coming to us. To, yeah. We don't even have don't to even go, have to go buy to a right, ticket. Right. No more airplane tickets. Right, right. You can get us, right. bus ride over there right, now. Right, right, right. And you can go down and find these folks. You can love them, share with them the, the, our lives and what's different about us. Mm -hmm. We don't have to pound a Bible on their head and say, do this. We have to love them. Right. And then when they ask, do what it says in, in First Peter, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that lies within you. Yeah. Why are we different? Because we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the fire of the Holy Spirit that we need churches to come up to. Mm -hmm. We don't need more people who are angry. Mm -hmm. And angry is what I see out mm -hmm. there right now. Yeah. Anger at, uh, angry at people of another religion. Angry at people of another racial background, mm -hmm. color, dress, mm -hmm. food, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They're just angry because they want it to be the way it is right now in their churches. Right. And I'm just imploring people wherever I go, folks, look into their hearts. Mm -hmm. For eternity's sake, look into their hearts. Right. That's it. Take us um, into some of the other hot spots. This is kind of your thing. You you go into the hot spots. You've mentioned a few of them. Uh, take us, bring us down, bring the helicopter down into some of these other countries. Give us some, some stories, some encouragement, some uh, maybe not encouragement, maybe just some, hey, this is a tough thing going on. Yeah. Give us some snapshots, three okay. or four different places. Israel. Yep. Israel 
is coming alive. They're scared to death. They're scared of what's going on in Europe right now with so many, um, both Muslim and Arab, going into that country. It might change the whole complexion politically of Europe. Um, They're afraid of Russia coming down with a naval base and an Air Force base just north of them. They're afraid that ISIS is going to turn their attention on them. They're afraid of Hezbollah getting armed again by Iran. I can go down the list. Israel's scared right now. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is is that they're starting to come. There are two websites out there that we know of that we in some ways work with. And um, um, one of them is called Isaiah 53. And what it is, it's pointing Jewish people to the fact that the prophecies about the Messiah... Uh, are true. And then there's another one out there giving testimonies. And you go on the website and off comes a, a person if you put the cursor on it, and they'll give a five-minute testimony as to um, how they met Messiah mm-hmm. and Yeshua. And uh, it's interesting because I was just over there in November, and they said that in the last six months they've had now, I think it's over 1.5 million hits on these websites. And majority of them have been the Hebrew websites, mm-hmm. Hebrew, Hebrew mm-hmm. language. And there are only 7 million Hebrew speakers in the world right now. Right. Most of them are in Israel. Mm-hmm. So the people are looking. That's a hotspot potentially going forward. Mm-hmm. Another one that I would say was, is a great hotspot is Cuba. And the people are so poor. The churches, the little churches in the outlying area are growing. And in their poverty, they're crying out to God. This is a day to touch Cuba. The one area that's really exciting is in the prisons. Because we work there, and they've got counselors, we've got uh, chaplains that are going into the prisons, and the number of prisoners that are accepting the Lord, huge. Mark, huge. And their families, too, because our counselors not only go to the guys in prison, but they're also going to their families, the wife and kids outside, predominantly, and they're leading both groups. So their party's getting together, whereby they bring the mom and kids into the prison, and they'll have basically a gospel-based reacquaintance with the newly born again mm-hmm. other parties mm-hmm. and it's really going great so you were telling me about um a prison uh, ministry that happened the guy accepted christ or something and then he left the prison and he became one of the uh became this pastor church planter oh, guy yeah. and there was a whole move what was that so oh, what yeah. country was that i forget that was cuba was, was that, cuba? that was cuba okay. oh yeah they're doing it all the time i know several of the guys there that i've met with and it's the same story whereby god does such a work in their hearts in the prison that once they leave, and this one guy that you're talking about, he left, changed in prison, left, goes outside, has a burden, then goes back in, right. and has has he knows everybody there. Right, right. And he says, look at me, look at me. Right. I'm different. Why? And he explains it. Mm-hmm. Um, another hot spot, because yeah. time's flying by yeah, here. Yeah. Um, Burma, Myanmar. And um, right now, um, there's two groups there, the Buddhist monks, 400,000 Buddhist monks in the country. 100,000 of them requested scriptures. And they're hungry to know truth and find God. Uh, the prisons are exploding with new believers. I, I know one prison's got 4,000 inmates, and there are 2,500 of them um, that, are, that are in Bible studies and prayer meetings and church services. Mm-hmm. They have three church services a day in this prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've changed one part of the prison into a seminary mm-hmm. to change these prisoners. Wow. And that's unheard of, mm-hmm. absolutely unheard of. Mm-hmm. We were just able to get 50,000 Bibles in. I think it's the largest shipment to go in since uh, 1967 mm-hmm. into the country. And they're gobbling them up. And this is why the Word of God, like you teach a strong word, mm-hmm. okay? The Bible is, is center in your life. That's what's becoming with all these areas around the world mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. People are hungry for the truth. Uh, okay. Uh, what else? Uh, Burma. 
uh, Israel, a couple other hot spots. Oh, you're taking me into areas that I'd love to go because it really I can't stop at some points. The one area probably that I will I would say is a possible for the future going forward uh, more than any other area mm. would be India. Mm. And the reason India is, is because the persecution in India is really increasing. Mm. The government is trying to pass laws right now banning um, uh, evangelism outside the church walls mm. so that it's going to stop everything. We have something called mini crusades that we do, $100, and the um, uh, young pastor will go in there to a village, he'll preach the gospel, and a church will pop up after a week. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's really mm. powerful. I think we did What do you mean $100? What does that mean? $100 pays for the pastor, the sound system, the tent, oh, I see everything that. like that right, right, right. for a week. Right, Food, right, right. Yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. of that right, nature. Right. Then they have, oh, I don't know, 30. I thought you meant you were charging $100 oh, no, per no, person no, no, in India no, no, to come and no, listen no, no, to a no. guy preach. They, they couldn't afford that. <laughs> no, um, it, it's $100 well, it's to steep. throw the event, <laughs> right, yeah. all right? So yeah. after a week, they've got this so church how many of people, 30 to 40. Okay, so how many people accept Christ? At 30 to like 40. That? 30 to 40 people. In a week. In a week. Yeah. And so that's pretty tough. I mean, you hear, I mean, you go and do the same thing in China and Latin America, yeah. you get 1,000. Oh, yeah. So India is a tough, that's it's a, a tough slog. It's a tougher sell. Yeah. But- with when you're talking about 1.2, 1.3 billion, and it's been dark for so long, and Hinduism is so strong, that this is really powerful. Yeah. But it's it's these smaller villages. They're now getting a witness, and they're growing. Right. I think this is going to explode. What about countries in Africa? You talked about Ethiopia. What other countries in Africa? Are we we work in stuff? North Africa and around the Horn. Okay. We find those areas to be the strongest. We don't personally work in Sub-Saharan Africa. Right. There are big operations there, yeah. but we find more depth. Mm-hmm. in a lot of the churches in the Horn of Africa, mm-hmm. in the Ethiopian sort of operations. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really the best And part. that's real village work. Oh, like, yeah. what's oh, some yeah. of the, what are some of the, you know, some of the things you've seen that you go, okay, that was a miracle of Jesus that uh-huh. I just, that I just saw with my own eyes. I saw that guy get healed of this. I saw, what, what, have, what are a couple of things you've seen in the last, you know, few years? <laughs> If I can go back more than a few years, I was on the Amazon River one time in, the, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I'm out in the Amazon. We had a prayer meeting one night. And this little baby was brought in with a totally bloated stomach. And I mean near death, high fever. Mom brought the little baby up to the front. We were all in this um, raised thatch hut where the Amazon River would flood and flood underneath of it. There were alligators came and they called them all around. And she brought into this meeting that we were having of 150 people, 200 people. She brought the baby in, taken up to the front. And I watched as the people came and put their hands upon that child. And I watched as that stomach deflated Mm. and the temperature came down and the baby came back basically to life again, Mm. all within 30 seconds. Mm. In in Ethiopia, uh, about six months ago when I was in there, there was a lady came forward and um, I was going around to all these village churches that had just popped up. And this young pastor was 25 years old and and I'm... uh, with him and he's walking me around these various ones. All of a sudden this very lovely Ethiopian young lady comes forward and she had sold herself years ago into witchcraft and uh, three of her uh, four children had died, all of her relatives. It was a disaster. And she had been selling herself off more and more to Satan Mm -hmm. and she was going paralyzed through it. 
and she would have demons within her and everything like that. She was so paralyzed that she couldn't feed herself anymore. She showed me her, her fingers were all gnarled up. Somebody had to stuff food into her mouth to make her eat and help her jaws move up and down just to swallow. And then she was to the point where the only thing she could do is drag herself by her elbows in the dust to get anywhere. She was, she was virtually going to die pretty soon. She heard about this church with this 25-year-old pastor about, in our lingo, probably two to three blocks away from her hut. Yeah. She dragged herself out there, over there, by her elbows, in the dust, found him. He tells me the same story as she is. Mm. He says, I knelt down, I prayed for her. He says, within minutes... The demons left. Within minutes after that, she started to get strength back in her body. She stood in front of me, and she told me this. She showed me everything. She showed me her fingers, her hands. Mm -hmm. This had just happened six months before I got there. And I checked it out with others in the area. Mm -hmm. This is common. She now goes around and gives her testimony because she was the witch doctor, you might say, of the area. She gives her testimony, and the pastor explains the power of the gospel. What a dynamic duo they call themselves. Wow. Um, Have you seen that a lot? Like oh. in the, when you go into the villages yes. of Africa yes. or uh, Burma or whatever, yeah. talk about some of that, some of the, uh, what's going on in those villages, demonically, uh, witch doctors, and how is the gospel changing uh, people in that way? The, every, every, every place is a little bit different with mm-hmm. the demonic, both in Africa, some parts of Asia, mm-hmm. uh, Middle East, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what it is is that, You've got Satan moving in to fill that vacuum in people's life with some sort of supernatural activity. When the Holy Spirit comes in, kicks that out and puts joy in as well as a outpouring of the Spirit Mm -hmm. to do miracles. Oh, man, people come from everywhere. Um, uh, There's one guy in Ethiopia, since we're there, Pastor 86, I call him. Did I tell you the story? Mm -hmm. Pastor 86. Mm -hmm. What a guy. And filled with enthusiasm and power. And I, I named him Pastor 86 because he'd started 86 churches. Mm-hmm. He was an evangelist like you wouldn't believe. So um, I, I said, so can you tell me your latest story? And he says, yeah, it was the 86th church that I just started. He says, I, I, the Lord was uh, speaking to me. He was praying one morning in his devotions. And he, he says, go to this certain village. So he gets on his horse and uh, drives to that village. So he gets off and he's pounding on doors, village huts, etc. And nobody's home. And he says, Lord, did I get this wrong? And um, the Lord said, keep pounding. So he's pounding, pounding, pounding. Finally, he heard in the center of the village, oh, this chanting and wailing and everything going on. He looks around a village, Hetty told me, and he says, I saw that the village witch doctor was there, who was also a Muslim cleric and leader. Mm -hmm. And he says, all the people were gathered around, bowing down to him. So he says, the Lord said to him, see, they're all in one place. Go get them. (laughs) So he goes around the edge of the building, walks right up, stands right beside the witch doctor. And he starts preaching about Jesus. Well, the witch doctor finally figured out what this guy was doing to these 400 people. And so he said, um, he says, kill the Christian, tall people. And he whipped around, he said to me, and he says, I said to him, you are misleading these people. They are going to hell because of what you're teaching. Repent or within one week you will be dead. So he walks away. The people didn't touch him. They wanted to see who was real. You know, this is the Elijah story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Power of Baal, right. power of God. Right. What are we going to do here? So he goes away, comes back one week later to the exact time. He walks in. Everybody's, there's crying going on. There's all sorts of hoopla. The um, witch doctor just died. They just buried him, as is the custom over there to bury immediately. Mm-hmm. And they, all the 400 people came to him and said, your God's stronger. Mm-hmm. Who is this God? And he says, I'll tell you about Jesus. 
And that just happens over and over and over. Wow. Not an evangelistic strategy that we use here in the West very often. <laughs> it's a different will, world here. God will kill you yeah, if you don't repent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works there because it's real. Yeah. They're, they're, they don't have the same social safety yeah, net right. as we do in, in some regards. And okay. Was there like a moment where you felt God say, okay, Ron, I want to move you from insurance to go and do this stuff? Or was it just a slow progression of people affirming things in your life and no i'm pretty thick in the head god usually has to really stop me and i look back afterwards and i and i think to myself okay i got fired from that i moved on to that um i i i I was loosed from this i didn't want to do this but god sort of moved me in that way i'm just one individual everybody's got their own thing i probably if i had been more sensitive would have just sensed the time to move on but it wasn't that way and therefore god just did plant rip me up from one thing and Mm -hmm. put me down another Mm -hmm. i got something i want to show you Mm -hmm. share with you though and the people there's a there's a brother in china he's one of the leaders is a good friend and um he has about five million in his group in china and i said to him one day i said how do the house church movements of china choose their leaders I said, is it the guy who's the most charismatic or is it the guy that knows his Bible the best or is it the guy that, that sort of like has got a winning smile or, you know, yeah. the politician sort of type of guy? Yeah. And I said, how do they do that in China? And he says, we find the individual, the pastor, who is the greatest hunger for God and we make him our leader. Hmm. In other words, we want to follow the guy who's the hungriest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, that's why the church in China is growing. Right. Their leadership model is based upon hunger. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you're talking about getting um, slapped around like a like a pinball. Um, I imagine you've been in some uh, in all these travels. Hmm. You've been in some uh, some sketchy situations. Yeah. Uh, maybe talk. What's what's the sketchiest pinball scenario <laughs> you've been in as you've traveled and gone? Yeah, that probably wasn't smart. We almost died. I almost died three times one time in China, just up by Mount. In in the same Nepal. year? At same day. The same, <laughs> um, same day. Um, we were a bad up, day. It was a real bad. Yeah. Well, it was a good day for mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was a bad day for almost dying. All right, tell us how you almost died three we were, times. We were Monday. up in Nepal on a church that was up a mountain. Top of the church had just accepted Christ with a 17-year-old girl and a 17-year-old young man and um, the whole village top. We came down, walked down, and the um, Hindu militants down below knew that we were up there as Westerners and had commissioned some thugs, a dozen of them, to kill us. So we were walking by the house where they were waiting, but they, we would, took so long. This is why I praise God for long church services. The church service was so long up at the top of the mountain that we didn't come down for hours and hours. Well, to get courage up, they got drunk. And so when I walked by the house, I looked left of me and to the window, and all these guys are laying around all over the couches and the chairs, and we walked right by them. These are the guys who were supposed to kill us that day. And we walked and got in a car, and we drove off. Down the road a little bit, um, a guy had driven through, hit a pedestrian, and the whole village came out after him. We were the car behind, and they hacked a guy to death. We had to spin around and get out of there fast. Um, then we almost fell off a mountaintop because of the car and the rough road was backing over this 3,000-foot mountain cliff. Uh, that was another time that day. So three times in one day was a bad day. Right. But 
Yeah. This just happens. Yeah. And God, God has another plan for me, so he just, just said, I'll take care of this. All right. Uh, the future. Yep. What does the future look like for global missions, for the move of the Spirit? What, what are you sensing? Obviously, you can't predict what God's going to do around the world, but no. what do you see happening in the next five to ten years in regard to hotspots and God's movement, and how can we pray into that? I do not know when the Lord is going to return. I have no idea, and if people around the world ever get the impression that I do, they're crazy. But I know very well that we are approaching the end sometime, and I think it's sooner than later. What does that mean? I don't know. But I mean this to be true. I know this to be true. The world is falling apart morally and ethically and everything like that. I can just see it. Uh, In my last trip, I was in Israel, India, and China just before Christmas, all the leadership, Christian leadership of those countries confirmed it. They're watching everything go down the tubes in their countries. Persecution is rising. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit's getting greater. The hunger for God's word. Everybody wants a Bible now. Mm-hmm. Everybody. All the great world religions, Mark, are falling apart. Um, there, you've got you've got Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and communism. All religion shall we say, mm-hmm. they're all falling apart. And they're turning now to God like never before. It's a race to the end now. And I think we're sprinting to the end. And people say, well, how do you know when it's going to be? I don't know. But I know this, that the Bible talks about a great outpouring in the last times. And I'm watching it happen before my eyes. Mm-hmm. And my goal in life is really simple. I want to go to, hev- to heaven tired. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. I've told you that before, mm-hmm. and I'm sticking to it. And it's really, really important for me to keep my eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to retire. I'll slow down as I get older and older and older, obviously. Right. How long but, have you been doing this now? Oh, I've been a pastor since I was basically 21 years old. Right. And I'm 63 right now, so you mm-hmm. do the math. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to stop. Mm-hmm. There are too many souls out there that don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to have any regrets in heaven. None. Um, I want Jesus to say, you did a good job. And being a good job means to do it as long as I can. One of the things I think is is important um, in the midst of, you know, you're talking about uh, ISIS and people's fear and our response as Christians, our posture should be to kind of welcome the nations. Um, I think one of the things that's important around that is how we philosophically move from like I see a lot of Christians who are upset about maybe their country you know Canada uh, taking in all these people or or uh, over in Europe you see you know literally Europe is changing from white Anglo-Saxon to Muslim and and uh, Hindu and you know basically and that the church um, what it sounds like you're saying should ha- more have a of, of, of an eternal kingdom Absolutely. mindset versus us fighting for some kind of um, color to our to our to our country that there's there's a more transcendent thing we need to care about here which is the spiritual reality of people exactly more so than fighting for you know hey so, we should Canada should be white and it's like you're saying no this is there's a spiritual opportunity here that we need to take societies change the world is changing the internet the global web is changing everything surveillance is growing in every country mm-hmm. governments right now are are watching their people because of terrorism 
and global terrorism, and rightly so. They're watching to try to find the bad guys. But what it's doing, it's being used many times by religious extremists against other parties, including Christians. Society is never going to be static. We can never have the old days back again when we were a a white, homogeneous, nice little country, peaceful, picket fences and everything like that. Those days are gone. That's a worldly view of life. My view of life is based upon Scripture, Mm -hmm. and that talks about my home being in heaven, not on earth, and therefore I really believe that we have got to have the eyes and heart of Jesus right now so that we see and feel differently. We have to look through the Word of God at people's lives. And at the end, if we are coming to the end, um, it's going to fall apart, the Bible says. So a matter of now, okay, how do we redeem as many as possible? Mm-hmm. We're not going to fix this. Mm-hmm. People, people say, well, let's make it the way it was back in 1960 when everything was really good. Right. And There's a lot of good music back then. Yeah, know, the music it? was good, and the flowers were nice, and you know, and the festivals and all this stuff. That was really a lot great. of nice festivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but at the same time, that wasn't what we're called to as believers. Right. We got to keep our eye on the ball here. Right. Yeah. All right, Ron. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk about uh, global mission. And really uh, the hope is that we would see people inspired both in our own church at village across the country, across any country to go, man, um, maybe God is calling me to go or not calling me to go necessarily, but use my, my resources um, to be able to support things like empower ministries, other ministries, churches that are church planting and caring for people around the world. Um, that we would have a, my heart is simply that we'd have a much bigger perspective than our than our local reality. We'd start thinking about the nations, yes. um, and uh, I'm just so thankful that your life is dedicated to it. Our our church hopes to continue to have it on our radar more and more, and uh, talking with you, you know, continues to inspire us to do that. So thank you so much. Can I yeah. just give you one last yeah. word? Yeah, both an encouragement and compliment. You're doing great. Hmm. This church, village church, I look at when I come and I visit, and I see a heart after God. Hmm. And um, that comes from you as a leader, so I just want to really congratulate you on the way that you're building this church. But I would say this to you and to other young men just like you out there. If we've ever needed enthusiasm and energy and fire and passion, Mm -hmm. both in the pulpit and in the pew or in the... In the, in the workplace and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It is today. And mm-hmm. I would say that the best thing that we can do for Canada right now as a nation, and that's where I'm sitting right now in this country, is that we've got to have another example out there for people to see what it is to be a Christian, a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. That image needs to be built up. Mm-hmm. And I encourage you mm-hmm. and other young pastors like you, set the stage for that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, Ron appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this has been helpful and inspiring to you. You've been listening to the Village Church Podcast Show with Ron Pierce, the Director and Founder of Empower Ministries. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for listening to the Village Church Podcast Show. You can find out more about Village Church, including ways to support the ministry at thisisvillagechurch.com.